to today's audio podcast from the Church at Bushland. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of the Church at Bushland and would like to enjoy more resources and weekly updates, we hope you will visit our website at thechurchatbushland.com or download our app by searching for The Church at Bushland in your app store. We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. Please take a moment to let us know how this ministry is impacting your life by emailing us at info at thechurchatbushland.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so in our app or by visiting thechurchatbushland.com slash give. Well, welcome to another episode of Digging for the Truth. I am your host, Trent Taylor, and I'm glad you have joined us again. We're talking about false prophets tonight. There's some crazy people out there, and there's a lot of false prophets. Have you noticed? So we're going to be talking about what a false prophet is, what's going on, and I want to start by talking about just kind of what's going on with the current generations. So as you've kind of, if you've been listening to the podcast recently, you know that uh, the young generations, millennials and Gen Zs, they're on my heart, and they're also right now really lost. And I want to show you some statistics and some, some things going on with them, but first, let's, let's just do this. Have you thought, or do you, when you step out into the world, do you think about what's going on, and do you see all these false prophets? Do you see an attendance drop in your church? I hope you don't. I hope your church is growing like ours. And I want to begin with a, a poll uh, that was get done in 2022. So, uh, as I mentioned in, in the last podcast, my children are Generation Z, so my oldest daughter, her, she got to vote in the last election in 2022. And so um, when you look at this poll, I'm going to go ahead and show you. It's the Walton Family Foundation, um, but it's actually uh, there's a, 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 sec, a group out here called Soci- a Social Sphere that goes and, and takes all these different post-election uh, uh, results. And so I want to just show you a couple of these that are fairly concerning, and I'm going to show my computer here. And so that way you can kind of see some of these. But if you look, we're going to go and uh, look at just a few of just the questions and samples given here. But one of them that I thought was pretty interesting was, uh, what was the political issue that concerned you the most when you were casting your ballot? So remember Roe v. Wade and everything that was going on in that regard? In the Gen Z, 29% uh, said that the most important thing to them, and you can see that it is dramatically more than, than any other uh, group, um, was abortion and uh, women's rights. Let's go look at some of these others. Um, I'm going to come over here to kind of get to what I wanted to talk about, but beginning right here on question number 95, which of the following do you consider yourself to be? And this was pretty you know, telling. I could not believe that only 75% um, thought that they were heterosexual or said, claimed to be uh, heterosexual or straight. I want to go ahead and tell you this, you know, and then it talks about some of the different gender stuff on some of these polls, but I want to go ahead and tell you something uh, it's great news. I know that everybody's, especially, it's hard enough to be a young person. Have you noticed that? It's just so hard to be a young person these days. But here's the great news. Here's the great news. Um, Genesis 127 tells us there's only two gender and God picks for you. So you don't have to, I know that we may, I'm not, I'm really not picking or trying to be ugly. It's the truth. There's freedom in that to know that God doesn't make mistakes and he made you exactly who he intended you to be. Um, but this, this youngest generation, man, I tell you what, they are, they're lost. Let's look at some others. Uh, and this is kind of one that, uh, this is kind of what was, what caught my attention in this whole survey. Aside from weddings uh, and funerals, how often do you attend religious services? And so only 13% go once a week. Only 13%. That is crazy. When you add up the top three numbers, only 28% go uh, even, you know, once a month or so. 
this is the youngest generation. This is our future. And if we don't pour the gospel into these kids, we're going to be in big trouble. We're going to be in big trouble as a nation. As we're going to be in big trouble, you know, uh, you know, globally because they're going to give their authority over. I have another one for you here. This one came out from the AP, uh, NORC. Here's an interesting thing. So notice this is only 56% believe in the devil, um, 58% in hell. And that is a really, really sad thing. Hell's a very real place. Star Wars the other day, I think, is Han Solo says, I'll see you in hell when he was going out on the Tauntaun to find Luke. I mean, it's just stupid. But this, what's interesting, I'm going to give you a second. Do you see what's noticeably missing in the questions asked? So you have 70 or 69%, 70% believe in heaven. 72% the power of prayer, um, 83% that some things can't be explained by science. But do you notice, they ask, do you believe in the devil? But there's no place on here that says, do you believe in God or do you believe in Jesus Christ? So what does a false prophet look like? Well, I think many of us, we can have our definitions. You know, when we talk about the devil, uh, you know, people have all these misconceptions of what the, the devil actually looks like. In 2 Corinthians, it tells us that, you know, he goes around as an angel of light. So he is beautiful. You know, he was an angel. Okay, in fact... The word tells us that that he was uh, the worship leader uh, of heaven. He had uh, instruments built into his body. I mean, he was he wanted to be worshipped and glorified like God, and that's that clearly was you know was his downfall. And he took a third of the angels with him. But if we're we're going to talk about what a false prophet looks like, but what does a, a prophet look like? Well, a prophet, especially look at all the Old Testament. A prophet speaks on the Lord's behalf into a situation. Okay, and sometimes it's to a whole culture group. It might be to an individual. Um, you think about constantly, you know, Jeremiah, he's pleading, please turn your hearts back to God. Noah, okay? I mean, now there's a, there's a, a whole other uh, schism there in regards to Noah and his time because of uh, the DNA of mankind. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later. Um, but, you know, a prophet is going to, you know, uh, speak truth, God's truth. And what happens, think about it, uh, uh, Isaiah, Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah, they went and proclaim the word of God in a region or to a group or to a people group. And in, they knew that they were going to face hard, hard scrutiny, rejection, in some cases even be looking at facing death. Okay, so, but these are people who are going to stand up for God no matter what. So what is a false prophet? Well, they're the opposite of that. They're going to insert lies for truth. They're going to have an agenda that usually benefits, benefits them or the ones that they serve. And they'll lead people away from God, away from truth, and away from the scripture. So we need to make sure that we understand what a false prophet looks like. So in Matthew 7, beginning in verse 15, it says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Here's another one that I think is, is very important in Matthew 24. In beginning in verse 10, it says, And then many will be offended and betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Think of this. It says that they will, people will betray one another. The Civil War was a great example of this. I mean, you had brothers fighting brothers. But what about now? I mean, what, what does Satan want to do? He wants to divide us up into a lot of little groups and then tell us to go hate each other. And so think, think about just in the last three years, okay? I'm so tired, you know, Republican, Democrat, vaccine, no vaccine, mask, no mask. Um, you know, just, just it's, it's, it's crazy when you begin to look at all the different ways that Satan is trying to divide us and, and to not see us as individuals and as people, but to see us as an enemy, as something that, that, that is to be hated. And that's what a false prophet does. It breeds discontent. It breeds 
anger, rage, and hatred into an environment, or tells lies to lead you away and think that you have hope when, in truth, you're putting your hope in the wrong thing, which is not, which will be not Jesus. A false prophet also may be a person that you like. They might be funny, intelligent, charismatic. You might be, I mean, they might be fun people to hang around. So you have to know who you're looking at when it comes to false prophets. You have to really pay attention and look at all the different signs. So how do we do that? Well, one of the things that, that we hear many times, you know, here's, here's a phrase. They may use um, something that sounds good and positive, something that no, 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 none of us want to be a racist, right? I mean, I don't. I'm not a racist. I love people. I don't see skin color. Do you? But how many times do we hear the word, well, that's racist. That's racist. But when they are really being truly racist, they're hypocritical and they say, no, that's not racism. So anyway, that, that, or tolerance and kindness. That's a whole other sect of people group, right? Be tolerant and kind, but they're the least tolerant and kind people there are. They just want you to accept them with the sin. I do love people. So I want to accept people, but I'm not going to accept sin. And there's a big difference. And that is really kind of the topic uh, for tonight. So before we get too much deeper, Jude is a great book. As one chapter, but man, that one chapter is filled with some meat. And it says this, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write you, exhorting you, to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men, this is, this is the point where it's really important, for certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to bring the scripture up again later, but this is important. I mean, think about how many people are creeping into the church and are saying and, and, and breeding false things and trying to split churches. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that as well. So I want to start here. Before we get into the present, before we get into the future, we need to go backwards and we need to look at the past. What was the very first attack on, uh, on mankind? It was attacking the authority of the Word of God. In Genesis 3, um, I don't have all the scriptures, so if you don't see me popping them up, just take note. But um, in Genesis 3, beginning in verse 4, it says, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. One of, the, one of the, my favorite, favorite prophets in, in the, well, in the entire Bible, but in the Old Testament is Elijah. So if you're not familiar with Elijah, he and Enoch are two, uh, the only two that were raptured from earth, okay, and did not die a physical death. And that, we'll, we'll talk probably some more about that um, uh, in, in future episodes as we talk about just the prophets that God sends. Elijah didn't come into the scripture until uh, 1 Kings 17.1, and that's the first we hear of him, and we're going to read that here in a minute. But who's he addressing? He is going, he's, he's in, a, in a battle with Baal worshipers, Ahab and Jezebel. And these are t- probably the most e- one of the most evil duos in the ancient scripture, in ancient history. It's telling us history in the scripture, but we don't have anything sometimes to make it tangible, right? Well, these are called nitrate negatives, and these are photos taken of Ahab's, what they call, in fact, the scripture, I think it's in uh, beginning in 1 Kings 25, but it talks about Ahab's uh, ivory palace. And so this is a northern view. You can see some people up on the ridge there. This is a northern view of that palace. Here's some other images. 
So what's crazy, look, so this is circa 1900 or so, and you can see everybody working and excavating the site. And we look at those people, well, that was a really long time ago, but think of this, it really wasn't. It really wasn't. My great-grandmother was born in 1906, and I can tell you, I, I can remember so many times going and being with her. These people right here are touching history, and we can still go over there today, and we can still see these sites. We can touch these sites. We have a touch point to history and to the ancient scriptures. Here's another interesting one. Um, you know, just people, again, middle of the excavation. It's just, it's just neat to be able to see these historical images. So I want to read this. In 1 Kings 16, beginning verse 29, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I think it's important to know the story. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, came, became king over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria for 22 years. Now Ahab, now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now listen to this. More than all who were before him. He's the most evil. In fact, he, he had up all the evil of all those before, and he is more evil. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing to him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam and the son, the son of Nebat. And he took of his wife, Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal. Catch that? So Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. So Baal is a false god. It's the god that the Sidonians worshipped. And then it says that uh, Ahab himself, he went and served Baal and worshipped him. In 1 Kings 17, 1, as I mentioned before, is this is the first time we even hear of Elijah in the scripture. Now, clearly this people group, this, this, this region had to know about him. But God set him aside from the very beginning and had trained him up and did not release him into this ministry. And, and when he released him, it's not like he got, he, he didn't go through, you know, triple A ball and double A and single A ball, whatever. He, he went straight to the major leagues. And he was thrown in in 1 Kings 17, 1, and Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall uh, not be dew nor rain these years except by my word. And so this brings about a great famine, um, and, and, all, and, and several things go on, and eventually it leads up to uh, a standoff or a battle between Elijah and the 450 bells, uh, sorry, prophets of Baal. And in the end, um, what happens is, if you haven't read the story, you should go read it. First Kings 18 kind of picks up there. But just, uh, the, there's two bulls to be sacrificed, put on an altar. The, you know, the prophets of Baal are going to pray to their God to consume it by fire. And obviously, Elijah is going to do the same thing. And so he lets the uh, prophets of Baal go first. And they're, you know, doing all their stuff. It even gets to the point they're cutting themselves, yelling. And then about noon, and this is one of the, what I was talking about, one of the things that's funny, uh, in 1 Kings 18, 27, and Elijah, you know, he's just, he's over there calling him out. And he says, and so it was at noon that Elijah mocked him and said, cry aloud for he is a God, little G, talking about Baal, right? Either is he... Uh, Either he is meditating or he is busy or he is on a journey or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. I mean, I just, I think it's funny. God uh, does consume uh, the, the, the sacrifice made by Elijah. All the people turn their hearts back to God. They seize all the prophets of Baal and then they take them down. First Kings 1840 and set the river and Elijah kills them all. In fact, I know some people kind of skip over that, but in fact, that's actually memorialized in Mount Carmel and by this statue. And so you kind of have to explain that, but it's like, why is Elijah holding a sword? I didn't remember that. Well, he's holding a sword because he killed all the prophets of Baal. The next part is if you go and you're looking at first Kings uh, 19, well, obviously Jezebel's pretty mad. And, and so 
I'm not going to go into the story. You should read. You should just read it. But the you know thing is, Elijah's scared for his life, and he's running. Uh, and he ends up in a cave, and God says, why are you, why have you come here? And eventually, it's, it's a neat story. God's grace is upon him. Um, but here is a, an interesting uh, image. So these are the cave systems that can be found in Mount Carmel. I mean, who knows? That could be it, you know, the, the very cave that Elijah, the, but my point is, is those caves exist. We don't know which one, but he was in one of those, and it's all still, it's, it's tangible. It's just, our, that history is just right here. And it's as relevant today as it was thousands of years ago. So there's a, we'll talk about one more past false prophet before we get to the present. And that is, I don't know if you follow the, uh, the Catholic Church much. Um, there's been quite a few doozies. Um, but the one that I want to talk about is Pope Honorius I. And monophysticism is a, a belief that, um, and it was a heretical teaching that he began to bring into uh, the church before he was he was born in in, uh, in Italy he was a Roman um, but he was little known until he was uh, became pope we know that he died on October twelfth of six thirty eight he is pope from six twenty five through uh, until his death monotheolites and monophysitism basically says that it's the belief that Jesus is only of one nature and not of two we know that that is a lie they're saying that he is holy but he is not physical that is a big no no in fact first. Second, third, John. John's addressing this, and he's, it's a different type of false belief around the physicality of Jesus, and it's called Gnosticism. And what Gnosticism is is that the, they said that everything physical is is uh, evil, anything spiritual is holy, and so Jesus could not have come physically. Well, man, I tell you what, go read first, second, third, John. He gets he sets that record straight. What is what is the very first thing that Thomas wants to do? He wants to touch the the hands of Jesus. Jesus talks about. Um, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb, which we're going to talk about later. In the marriage supper of the Lamb, what do we do? We eat. We eat with Jesus. Okay, so Jesus, the physicality is really important. Well, this brought this heretical teaching into the church, and it began to create all kinds of, of problems uh, all over the place. And this exists, this went on for like 42 years. So there was a third council of the Constantinople, and it was Byzantine Emperor Constantine IV. This is actually Pope Leo II. Basically, he says this, And in like manner, we anathematize the inventors of the new era, that is, Theodore, uh, Bishop of Far uh, Faran, Sergius, Faris, Paul, and Peter. Now, these, he's not talking about the apostles. He's talking about like some people that were around at the time just named after them betrayers rather than leaders in the church of Constantinople, and also Honorius, who did not attempt to sanctify this apostolic church with the teaching of apostolic tradition, but by profane treachery permitted his purity to be polluted. So he went from being Pope Honorius I to Honorius the heretic. And I want to go ahead and say something right now. You know, I said this to my, to my wife the other day. We were just talking. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of Protestants. There's a lot of uh, evangelicals and stuff that say horrible negative things about the Catholic Church. Let me tell you something. We wouldn't have the, the Protestant Church, the Reformation teaching. We wouldn't have the, you know, the evangelicalistic, you know, uh, teachings of Jesus Christ if it wasn't for the Catholic Church. They kept the word alive. And, and in spite of so many horrible leaders, you know, there were, there were, there were some bad popes. But I'll tell you what, there were some phenomenal bishops and, and, and priests the, and friars and all these different monks that, 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 that were true to the word. Um, you ought to do a study. If you've never done it, you ought to do a study on Martin Luther. Um, Eric Metaxas has a great book on that. And you'll learn a lot about just 
why there was some heretical teaching, yes, in the Catholic Church, but let me tell you something. There were still and, and still are good people, okay, that are absolutely going to heaven. They have a relationship with Jesus Christ, accepted him as their Lord and Savior that are Catholic. So don't, again, the enemy likes to come in and create heretical, you know, you know, divisions everywhere he can. We're on the same side, and we need to fight together, especially these days. So I want to talk about false prophets of the present. This one is going to be a tale of two pastors, and it's people that I know. Um, I'm obviously not going to call them by name, but we all know of false prophets. Remember David Koresh in Waco in the early 90s? I mean, this was a, a man who was using the name and the word of God, which I'll tell you what, if you're going to be bad, don't use God's word to do it because it is, you're heaping coals on your head. But uh, he, he was using the, the word of God to do really horrible things. But there's two pastors that I want to talk about. And one of them, so what, the reason I injected this before the Antichrist Kingdom episodes that are coming up is because I had a buddy come up to me um, a few weeks ago at church, after church, hey, do you remember so-and-so uh, used to be the youth pastor over at that church? And I was like, well, yeah, because I was doing, I was, I was working in that ministry at the time. And at the time, I mean, I didn't really, I didn't really like the guy all that much, but I didn't disagree with any of his teaching and stuff. Well, anyway, my friend has stayed in contact with his pastor and he's risen up through this denomination who's not yet gone through a split but is very likely to and um is now very influential in that denomination and uh in that denomination they're now vying and dealing with the 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 issues of homosexual the homosexuality within the church this particular pastor is taking the lead and he says that not only should homosexuality be accepted within the church but it should be elevated within the church um elevated means worshiped that means that you are going to make this sexual sin the and place it on the altar of the church and say worship it, and that is heretical. That is true. so. What is he? He's a false prophet. He, and here's what's interesting is that you know uh, my friend said, well, you know, he really knows the Bible. Well, so does Satan. You know, knowing the Bible does not make you a Christian. It does not make you on the side of Jesus Christ. There are a lot of atheists and there are a lot of, of bad people who know the Word of God. They know. They know. They just don't have it in their heart. They have not truly accepted Jesus Christ as Lord. Let me tell you something. A whole other revelation comes when you truly have relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, let me tell you about the other pastor. The other pastor, you know, is involved with this, with this uh, it's a fundamentalist group out of Arizona. And they teach some replacement theology. Replacement theology basically is saying that, uh, the, that the Jews are no longer God's chosen people. That in and of itself is a heretical statement. And that now we as the believers are God's chosen people. Well, we are God's people. There's no question, but you don't mess with Israel. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole right now, but that's a teaching for another day, but that's a heretical statement. So in this church, they teach also that basically every homosexual should just be killed. Well, they, they have zero relationship, you know, with Jesus Christ and the grace of God, clearly. So they, this is the group, they, they from the pulpit, they will say horrible derogatory things about that people group, about homosexuals. They'll call them names. And, and they'll say all of these different things that, that are just hateful, vile things. They're the kind of group, remember the West, I think it's Westboro Baptist Church or whatever it was. They, you know, say all these horrible things and they go to these uh, different events where gay pride prays and they hold up signs saying, God hates you basically. Well, let me tell, let me ask you something. Does that sound like Jesus? Absolutely not. You think that if you hold up a sign and you tell people from the pulpit that you hate them, that they're ever going to have an opportunity to know Jesus Christ. 
you have to separate the sin from the sinner. You, the sin is sin. I, I agree. Homosexuality is sin, period. It is. So is adultery. What does the Bible say about adultery? I mean, what is it? John 4 talks about Jesus and the woman at the well. Jesus approaches her, and he reveals himself, ultimately, who he is, the deity. He, he is God. He is God, the Son of Man. And he, this woman, though, she what been married five times, and the person she was living with wasn't her husband. She went back and got the whole town saved. Go forward a couple chapters, John 8. We're talking about the woman, the adulterer, right? And, and all these people, they're standing around holding their stones. And they're going to stone this woman. And so Jesus comes up, and, and he's writing in the, in, the, in the dirt. And the Bible doesn't tell us what he wrote exactly, but I, I, I think that what he's writing is he's writing their sins. And he says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And all these people, they dropped the stones and walked away. And so that woman, she was an adulterer an adulteress okay she she had committed adultery but what did jesus do he looked at her he saw he separated the person from the sin he came to free us from our sins and he looked at this woman and he showed his love and his mercy and his compassion and he says now go and sin no more we are called to be the light inside the church and if we are nasty and ugly to people because of because only of their sin it's just like when i'm trying to talk to young people or talking i had a conversation with somebody about this uh, a man just the other day i said listen because they were trying to make arguments in regards to homosexuality I said let me ask you this I said you know how sweet my wife is and she's i am i'm married up man my wife is amazing she's beautiful and smart and talented and i'm not getting extra points just for saying this on the podcast by the way <laughs> but she is she's all those things and so I said, okay, but I look over here and I, I said, oh, there's, here's a woman that I, I think she's pretty and I, I want to go have an affair with her. Would you condone that? Well, no, I wouldn't condone that. Well, it is no different. It is the exact same. It is sexual sin. It is sexual sin. Would you bring that into the church and worship it? Absolutely not. It is the same thing. And, and it's just been, the other has been far better marketed. And it's a sin that if you, there's actually a book called uh, Family and Civilization that was written in the 40s by a sociologist out of Harvard, of all places. And it talks about the decline of every society. And there's 11 signs. You could break it into really eight or seven or eight, but the, the final one, it talks about just the, the, atom, the, the atomization uh, of the family and the decline and the, 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 the nail in the 38 studied civilizations that they did. The final nail in the coffin was a common acceptance of all forms of sexual perversion, homosexuality, and so forth. Okay, well, we're there, man. Society, God will not allow a society like that to stand. Okay, and he wants, but why does he, why does he tear it down? To draw us back to him. And I'm trying to be a Jeremiah right now, screaming and, and just saying, listen, quit being nasty. You know, if you're from West Texas and you've been going down the road, you know, there's these two deep bar ditches on either side, right? And it's pretty easy if you stay, to, stay on the, to stay on the road. If one, you hadn't been drinking, two, you're, you know, paying attention and you're not texting. But if you, you know, you screw up and you quit paying attention, you end up in one of those ditches. Well, that's what those are. Think of, of those two pastors. One over here that is condoning the sin, the other one that's condemning the person. We need to definitely not condone the sin, but we need to love the person and stay on that straight and narrow path. Let me give you a couple of examples here, you know, to kind of drive the illustration home. So in June of 22, if you'll recall, the Presbyterian church split into two, except on the, basically on the accepting of homosexuality and homosexual priests, <clears throat> the ordination of, of uh, those who claim to be homosexual. So it split into two groups. 
uh, PCUSA and PCA. So PCUSA is the one that is common. They accept homosexuality. They also no longer, uh, and they haven't for a long time, but they do not uh, proclaim the Bible as the inerrant, infallible word of God. It's just more of, you know, it's, it's, it's a great moral book for us to kind of go by, but there's a lot of allegories there, and it's not all true. Well, that is heretical. That's a false prophet that teaches that. The PCA, which is the, the new group, they are the group that, or actually, they're, I guess they're really the, the, the foundational group, that uh, they still believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God, and they are not accepting of homosexuality in regards to being elevated within the church, Okay. All right, so here's a couple of just images for you. Um, when this took place, uh, here's the meeting in uh, the Presbyterian Church. And this is actually when they voted to split. And they split over that. You know, you think it's that flag, but it's really not. It's about the dis dissolution of the Word of God by the, the taking down of the inerrant Word of God and saying that God's Word isn't true. And in and think of this. I said this earlier, and I'm not trying to be nasty, but and I just want to be kind and tolerant. I don't want to hurt their feelings. I mean, so they, their heart might be just to not hurt the person, you know, and that's great. But you you cannot condone the sin. It is sin. And as soon as you open it and accept it as sin, you've begun the demise and destruction uh, of that of that church. Let's look at uh, July, this last month. You might have seen these articles recently. Uh, the Methodist Church, about 6,000 UMC churches uh, leave to join the uh, GMC. So the GMC, the Global Methodist Church, is the new one. It says that the Scripture is holy, the primary and uh, rule and authority for faith, morals, and service against which all other authorities must be measured. That's their, their wording. The GMC does not recognize or support, or support homosexuality, especially in the area of ministry, marriage, and so forth. Um, here's an article that came out uh, on AP the other day, and I'll show you here on my screen. The United Methodists lose one-fifth of the U.S. churches in the schism driven by growing defiance of LGBTQ bans. With the 6,000 United Methodist congregations, a fifth of the U.S. total, have now received permission to leave the denomination amid a schism over theology and the role of LGBTQ people in the nation's second largest Protestant denomination. I'm not going to read the whole article to you. Um, Y'all can go and, and, and look at that for yourself. But it's just, you have to understand that this is... Uh, just things are getting ripped apart. Satan loves this. Watching the church no longer be based on the infallible word of God and, and for people to just begin to rip, you know, God's ordained church apart. Well, let me show you this. Um, this is a Methodist pastor. <clears throat> this is, I am a gay pastor. I want to read something to you. Um, Looking here, make sure we have time, but I just want to read this to you. The church I grew up in, I'm not going to tell you the denomination, uh, but they have gone through a split. And the church in the panhandle that I grew up in, this is on their website as of August 1st of 2023. This church is a member of, I'm just reading straight from the website, <clears throat> is a member of the Open and Affirming Congregations of the Texas Panhandle, the OAC. A coalition of congregations dedicated to supporting members of the LGBTQIA communities. This mission, the mission of the OAC is to help LGBTQ individuals as their families 
and their families find a faith community where they will be welcomed and affirmed. Affirmed is another way to say we accept your sin, and not only accept it, we're going to celebrate your sin. I mean, it's the same thing. Think about gender-affirming language that you hear everywhere. And you, let's get behind all that. They're saying, listen, let's literally go castrate eight-year-olds. There's, I mean, I know this is scary stuff, but this is important because this kind of language, you're trying to do it out of kindness and being nice people, but it leads to, I mean, just horrible depravity. Let's go ahead. The OAC pledge is the people of faith. What kind of faith? Because it's not Christianity. It's not, it's not Jesus. Let me put it that way. As an open and affirming congregation of the Texas Panhandle, we pledge to be a safe space where uh, members of the LGBTQI communities are welcomed and affirmed. And have all the rights and responsibilities to participate fully in all rituals and sacraments, including marriages, rites of passage, use all your gifts openly in service, have equal opportunities to participate in congressional leadership. It's not something that's happening in big cities over here. And this is in, you know, everybody, this is everybody's backyard. And we have got to make sure that we love people, but we don't let the lies come creeping in, just like it says in Jude. It's just go for certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm saying a lot of hard things tonight. I'm not usually a softball guy. I usually talk about all the hard things because nobody else is. But we have got to make sure that we do it in the right spirit. We've got to do it in the right spirit. You know, culture... Is another thing that the enemy loves to use to divide us. What's one of the things dividing us right now? Um, you know, you could talk about climate change. In fact, uh, just today, the White House came out and said that they may have to declare an emergency, uh, a state of emergency for the United States because, you know, it's hot outside. And I'm not exaggerating. They really did this. They have not done it. And I'd be surprised if they did. But if the fact that they're saying it, they're talk- and it's just a matter of time for this happens. Um, and basically they would make all kinds of rules from traveling and air travel and driving and gas. And I mean, it's, that's going to create all kinds of division, right? We have, we, we all have different opinions about what I just said. Probably strong emotions may have even come up, but this is not something new. I found an article the other day from Billy Graham from uh, January 19th of 1968, but I'm going to just read the beginning of this. And this is Billy Graham speaking or writing. Christians throughout America are feeling the shockwaves from a conference on church and society held in Detroit a few months ago. The Detroit conference turned out to be one of the most radical religious conferences ever held in the United States. Underlying most of the discussions uh, was the theme of violence and revolution. This new breed of churchmen proposed, among other things, a general 24-hour strike as a means of protesting American escalation in the war of, what was it dividing? America at the time, Vietnam. The war of Vietnam. And they went much further. Some of their leaders called for open violence in the United States to change the social and political structure. Let me tell you, that is not how Jesus works. Okay, He's saying this is trying to come up out of the church. That's how Satan works. I mean, look at all the, the horrible things you've seen going on in regards to riots and people hitting old people and, and just all the attacks. And just I, I don't want to say all the wrong words so that I get blocked out here on YouTube. But... You can, that, that's a tactic of Satan. And so what do we do? We see each other as, as enemies instead of seeing the person. Instead of seeing that person in front of us, we see all these labels. And Jesus wants us to look past all those labels and to see the person and to say, let me tell you, forget all that. Jesus wants to tell you who you are. And when you know who you are, you'll know what your purpose is. And it will unite us, not divide us. 
When you see division, that's how Satan works. Unification, Jesus. Anyway, let's go ahead and move on. The, one of the things that we're, we need to talk about are the, the coming false prophets, right? So the biggest one is the false prophet. Now, when we talk about um, the false prophet, <clears throat> well, probably right now, as soon as I said false prophets or the false prophet, you might have even had somebody in mind who's alive right now. And, you can, and, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you're probably wrong. <laughs> I mean, and I'm probably going to be wrong about some of them that I show you, but I'm going to show you some true false prophets. I mean, I'm not saying they're the false prophet. I'll tell you how and when the false prophet will be revealed. But let's do this. In Revelation 13, beginning uh, in verse 11. But before we get to verse 11, let's go ahead and talk about verses 1 through 10. So in Revelation 13, 13 is basically the chapter that reveals the Antichrist and the false prophet. The the Antichrist is revealed first. In the beginning, what we're going to start in a second, in verse 11, it starts saying, okay, here is the, the, uh, the false prophet. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So let's think about that. His his deadly wound was healed. So the Antichrist um, gets shot in the head. Somebody gets wise and says, oh, this is a bad guy. Shoots him in the head, let's just say. I'm I'm just assuming. But regardless, it was demonically and satanically healed. So the the false prophet's going to use that as a big piece of his propaganda. So he performs great signs so that even, uh, and he makes fire come down from the heaven on earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. So the only time he really has real power, like supernatural satanic powers in the sight, is when he's in the presence of the beast, of the Antichrist. Telling those who dwell on the earth <clears throat> to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. So there, again, so more than likely it was a person or an individual who tried to kill the Antichrist. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now, we're not going to talk a whole lot tonight about the uh, the, the mark of the beast, we will in future podcasts, because it really ties into the Antichrist kingdom. And a big piece of that has got to be the mark of the beast and the controlling of, of all uh, buying and selling. But the, the Antichrist is probably going to be very charismatic, charismatic, might even come across as meek and meekness like the lamb. Um, probably going to be an affable person. And, uh, and, and I'm gonna, I got to thinking throughout history, <clears throat> again, Matthew 7, 15 and 16, what does it say? Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves, and you will know them by their fruits. So thinking through history, one of the first person that came to mind, if you're not familiar with him, is Joseph Goebbels. He was the chief propagandist of the Nazi party, and this is him right here. He was the chief propagandist of the Nazi party. When Hitler became chancellor in 1933, um, Goebbels was already there uh, in his in his corner. And right here, you're looking at the man who was basically a marketing genius. He was a very evil man, obviously incredibly anti-Semitic. In fact, he was even more anti-Semitic, if that's possible, than, than uh, uh, Hitler. <clears throat> and he was also, you know, really good with words. But if you look at him, he was charismatic. People liked him. 
He was, you know, brought out before dignitaries and, and, and other leaders. And so he was great at convincing people to do horrible things. But I want you to look at something on this very next image that see if anything catches your attention. Notice that you have priests of the Catholic Church hailing Hitler. That sign, the hail Hitler, is hail Satan to deny Christ. And it was in, in that picture right there in the 1940s as well, standing in the presence of of you know, the Nazi, uh, the Nazi leadership. So these men, you can see there might be some reluctance in their faith, but what did they do for their own safety and security and concerns? Now, I don't know these people exactly, but they're going along, which makes them absolutely wrong. And what does all that lead to? Well, it leads to this. Look at this. This was actually, notice that's Hitler there in the front and the entire, all the citizens and the, and, and those that are members of the party, have the hand outstretched, worshiping. That is worshiping a beast, a false prophet, okay? And this is what happens. This is groupthink, you know? In other words, you no longer have control of your own. Your, if you don't go along with the status quo and worship the leadership, then you will be set aside. In fact, that's what's going on. We're going to talk more about this with the Antichrist kingdom. It's going on right now around the world. It's even happening here in the United States that if you don't tell the line, then we're going to, Right? You've heard of cancel culture, and, and it gets even worse. You end up being put in re-education camps, potentially even killed. So that's how it leads, and it does it every single time, every single time. So we have got to make sure that the church, that we, that we bring the truth uh, to people. Well, we know that we have to stand against evil, and I'm going to talk more. You've heard me mention this guy. I mentioned him on the last podcast, but one of the most evil people uh, on the planet right now is Yuval Harari. He is a champion. He, in fact, people call him the prophet, ironically. And he is definitely a false prophet. I want you to listen to uh, these few little sound bites uh, from him, and then we'll talk about it. Century will not be shoes or clothes or cars or weapons. The big product of the 21st century are going to be bodies and minds. So I think we are heading to, towards the upgrading of Homo sapiens into gods. I will replace natural selection by intelligent design. You have, especially in the US, this big argument between natural selection and intelligent design. And the funny thing is, the ironic thing is, that the people who believe in natural selection, I think they're obviously right about the past. But the people who believe in intelligent design, they are right about the future. Mm. The future of life belongs to intelligent design, but the designers the intelligent designers will not be some gods above the clouds. We are going to be hmm. the intelligent designers of the future of life in the universe. So did you catch all that? First of all, he says that we, we will be gods. The other thing he says is that, you know, obviously natural selection, in other words, meaning evolution. And that there was no intelligent design. Well, I was, I'm messing around watching you suck air and sit on that, you know, that nice cushy chair in an air-conditioned room. Let me tell you something. Intelligent design got you in that seat to deny your creators. And it's just, it's, it's just crazy to me. But regardless of all that, did you see that he says, look at the, look at the future. Those intelligent design, and it's, he's got a, you know, split tongue. I mean, it's kind of smooth. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't really hear what he's saying, he's really smooth. He didn't call anybody wrong directly. He just said, well, he didn't say they're wrong. He said, but they're right about intelligent design moving forward. Did you hear that? In implying that they were wrong about intelligent design from the beginning of time. 
So he is a, a horrible person, but I want to show you uh, something that's kind of interesting. <clears throat> and we, the scripture that we read, it says that the, uh, sorry, the false prophet is going to um, perform miracles and, and do great signs. And so I just want to show you something that's going on right now in, uh, in Australia. This is an article that came out uh, July 24th, and it says the transhumanists. So this is one of the things that they want to do is they want to, if you look at the scripture, when it's talking in the Genesis account, Genesis account of Noah, it says that he was perfect. Well, we know that morally he was not perfect, but his DNA was perfect. That's going to be a, a you know, conversation for a podcast in the future. But the, we were within about eight people of, uh, you know, the human, truly human DNA being wiped out. When the fallen angels came and they, they mated with human women and created the Nephilim and it corrupted man's DNA. Well, that's what they want to do again. They call it actually transhumanism, but they also call it human from the World Economic Forum. They call it human 2.0. Get this, you know, this is another thing that's going on is AI. We'll talk about AI later, but a team of scientists has won a $600,000 grant from the government of Australia to continue the work merging human brain cells with artificial intelligence. The team has already enjoyed success making headlines last year for teaching a cluster of brain cells in a Petri dish to play the video game pong how scary is that so imagine now you 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 soup that up and you know a false prophet has you know an entire brain filled with this and maybe all kinds of other high-tech neural implants we know that the antichrist kingdom will have all these different types of the, the mark right and they want to transform you know us lowly people into their servants and so they want us to to be connected to technology for control but they're not, they're going to have all the super stuff to make them super intelligent, the false prophet, and, and that's just that's just you know the word according to Trent. I, I just something I see in regards to what's going on um, on the on the, the the playing field right now that I see they they could absolutely use, and it would seem like supernatural things taking place when instead it's just it's it seems like this. And I do believe that there will be demonic supernatural things taking place as well. So as we begin to wrap up, I want to say this: I know that these are all kind of some heavy things to talk about. But we need to prepare our hearts for Jesus. In Luke 21, 28, it says, Now then, you, when you see all these things begin to happen, look up and lift, your, lift up your heads because of your redemption. It draws near. In Matthew 25, I think it is. Don't hold me to that. But in, in Matthew 25, it talks, I'm pretty sure it talks about the, uh, the five wise virgins and the five foolish virgins. And that basically it's the, 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 the virgins, but this is the church. And so five are left behind because they weren't prepared. They're the foolish virgins. The others had their, had their oil and had the wicks. They were trimmed and they were ready to go. And so when Jesus came, they were taken with him. What that basically means is that right now, the current, in the church around you know, the world, happens, that's basically saying that when the rapture happens, half the church will be left behind because they do not know Jesus Christ. I, I, and I'm just saying that there are people right now, maybe it's you, and, and I just want you to know the most important decision that you can ever make in your life is whether you have a relationship with Jesus Christ or not. In Revelation 19, uh, beginning in verse 6, is something exciting. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb, and it goes like this, and it says, And I, I heard it, <clears throat> as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of a mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife, us, the church, has made herself ready. I'm ready. 
into her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen and clean and bright for the fine linen and the righteous acts of the saints. And it goes on to say, Then he said to me, this is John speaking, and Jesus told him to write this down. It says, Write. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let me tell you something. While the tribulation is going on, we're going to be in heaven having the marriage supper of the Lamb and eating and feasting with Jesus Christ. And if you don't know if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, then I want to tell you this. In Romans 10, 9, it says, If you confess with your tongue and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died and God raised him from the dead, you're saved. It's that simple. And so if you've never asked Jesus or if you're not sure that you know Jesus Christ and you're going to heaven, and if you don't, if you have any doubts, then I would highly recommend that you get your heart straight and that you tonight or this morning or while you're in your car driving or wherever you are right now, that you make Jesus the center of your life. And here's how you do that. It goes just, it's a simple prayer. In John 3, 16, it says that God sent his only begotten son to die so that we may have everlasting life. So if you pray this prayer that we're about to pray, and you mean it sincerely in your heart. You are saved. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And it goes like this. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. And you sent your only begotten son to die so that I could have everlasting life. I ask Jesus Christ to be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It's that simple. Listen, if you've just given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to know. I want to pray for you. I might even, you know, I'd like to contact you and, and to help get you going in the next steps. But it's important. You can reach out to the church. Uh, there will be some comments in the bottom and tells you how to get in touch with us. We have an app on the app. You can ask for prayer requests. Just talk to us through the app if you'd like. But we want to hear from you. Thank you for taking the time to be a part of this podcast. It takes a lot of energy to put this out. If this has blessed you, share this with somebody else and let others hear the word of God. Thanks again for joining, them, uh, joining us tonight. We'll see you on the next one. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast from the Church of Bushland. We hope you will stay connected by following the ministry on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram by using the Church of Bushland. We are all about people because God is all about people. We exist to help people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference.